0: Kevin Mondro here, Coach Dro, D-R-O. Welcome back to the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast. The podcast where we advocate coaches and help young coaches learn from the coaches telling these stories. The response to episode 22, Coach Drew Valentine, has been incredible. The youngest head coach in Division I basketball simply did not disappoint. To me, Drew was elite. There are so many things that I love about the conversation from Loyola Chicago's new head coach. Coach Valentine's love for his mom and dad, Coach Greg Campy, Coach Tom Izzo, and Coach Porter Moser. I remember when I was 30, I was not talking about culture like Coach Drew. All the detailed, organized, and passionate tips that Drew gave to young coaches, just sensational. Thank you, Coach Drew Valentine for sharing your story. Today, we are talking to Coach Keno Davis. Coach Davis was the 2008 National Coach of the Year. I am so fortunate. This is my second National Coach of the Year to be on the podcast. Coach Phil Martelli was our first. Coach Davis has been a head coach at Drake, Providence, and Central Michigan. Keno has also been named both the Missouri and Mac Coach of the Year. As you soon will hear, this is a great behind-the-scenes look at the thought process of a head coach a head coach who understands his team identity and coaches to their strength subscribe rate and review on whatever platform you are currently listening remember we are everywhere apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher amazon music google podcast and so much more please keep telling your coaching friends about this podcast remember the bigger audience we can create the bigger impact we can make with young coaches follow tell me your story coach on instagram at tell me your story, Coach. Follow tell me your story, Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mandro. Enough of Coach Drow. Let's get to Coach Keno Davis and tell his story real quick. Before Coach Keno Davis's story, I need to tell you about my affiliate partner that I have been supporting since episode one. That friend, Desmond Ferguson, the owner of Moneyball Sportswear. Check out MoneyballSportswear.com. My wife and I are about to put in order number two. By the way, the Moneyball cross bag that Liz rocks when we are out with JJ, she absolutely loves it. Let me tell you about the gear that Moneyball produces. Men's, women's, boys' and girls' sports attire, hoodie, sweatshirts, t-shirts, shorts. You name it, Moneyball has it. High quality and affordable. If you are a high school coach and or AAU coach and you need a new set of uniforms, what are you waiting for? Please reach out to Moneyball ASAP. The uniforms that Desmond and his team create are simply spectacular. Go to moneyballsportswear.com. Shop away. Enter the promo code DRO, D R O in the coupon checkout. Grow with us. Moneyball. The only way to ball. Kino, why do you coach?
1: Well, uh, I think, you know, there's a there's a point in in your life when you're going to try to make a decision of of what you're going to do for a job and a career. And I think for a lot of us that, you know, grew up with sports being such an important part of it. um, When you realize that, that playing sports isn't going to be a job, you want to have sports involved in whatever your, your career is. And um, I think with my, uh, with my father having been a a long-term coach, time coach, uh, it opened some doors, fortunately early uh, in my life to be able to go that direction. And, uh, uh, worked out for me.
0: Is your dad, Dr. Tom Davis, your biggest mentor?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think there's any any question uh, that he has been. You know, I think you know as I as I look back to uh, my time as a as an undergraduate at the University of Iowa, I was in a really unique situation uh, to be able to be a, a practice player, uh, but to also. You know, be kind of an undergraduate assistant coach. So, if you think about it, you, you've got somebody that is able to be in the locker room and hanging out with with the players uh, and hearing their conversations of what they think after a game or a practice or whatever it might be, and then at the an hour later to be able to be in the in the coaching assistance room and listen to the, what the coaches think. And uh, I think those things, you know, really helped kind of mold my ideas in coaching. And of course, having my father uh, to be able to not only bounce ideas off as I was starting in the profession, but um, going through the highs and lows of it, you know, he had been through it, it, it all and was able to help me navigate through, uh, you know, some some tough days and, and obviously so, some good days as well.
0: You know, it's just amazing when you think about it, you probably were in a locker room when you were like two, three years old. You've been in a locker room your whole entire life.
1: Uh, I I really have. Uh, in fact, when I was, oh, I don't know, uh, single digits, I was probably seven, eight years old or so. My father was coaching at, at Boston College and they, they wrote a story. We won a game to, to make it to the Elite Eight. And like the players were throwing me up and down in the locker room <laughs> celebrating. And, you know, so... I, at an early age, you were, you were not just the, at the games and things, but you were, you were living through it through practices, and, and uh, that's, that's kind of really all you knew.
0: So your dad was the National Coach of the Year in 1987, and you were in 2008. That's pretty incredible when you think about it, both father and son National Coach of the Year's. How special was that Drake team?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, being able to win that award, I remember in 87, uh, you know, when my father won, it just it was just amazing to me that to win that award is not anything you even think about, you know, even if you're going into coaching of, of being able to, to win a national award. And then, you know, fast forward to, to 2008, you know, that Drake team is is unlike any team that, you know, that, that I've ever even heard of. You know, it just the the When you talk about as a coach and trying to develop chemistry and try to recruit to chemistry, if you're in college, that great team had it all, and they had it all not just after they started to win, uh, but they had it in the summer going into that year. It was just a, a unique makeup uh, of young men that were really um, they were close knit. They had a great attitude, and then uh, on the court. They were probably a little bit uh, ahead of their time when you had four shooters on the court and y- your point guard was the only non-shooter. You put a lot of pressure on uh, other teams to try to defend you and uh, you know found found a way to, to win games uh, in the clutch and, and be able to really take a game plan that the coaching staff put together and not just be able to follow it, but I've never had a team even close that was able in the middle of a game to change how we were going to guard and change what we were going to do offensively and be able to do that on a fly. I think it's really the, the credit to the, to the character uh, and the chemistry uh, of, a, of, a, of a really special group.
0: So you've been a head coach now at Drake, Providence, and Central Michigan. After 216 wins in your career, what do you think your current coaching philosophy is right now?
1: You know, I think the the game of basketball – you know, at the, at the collegiate level, but probably at all levels, you know, is changing for, for on the court um, and how the game is played, both offensively and defensively. And then there's, there's another aspect to it. It's the, um, it's the transfer rule. It's the, uh, it's all of that, that goes into it as a business, the uh, name, image, and likeness. There's all of those things that that go together. So I think your time as a, as a coach now is not spent as much on the X's and O's and the the prep game preparation nearly as much as it used to be. It's all of the other things that, that revolve around it um, that are going to determine, you know, can you have a successful year or um, three, four years? It's how you're going to develop the, the whole part of your, of your, team and your program. So, you know, I think it's really important to be able to have the right people around you, whether you get a have an opportunity as, the, as a college coach or a pro coach where you have a lot of staff or you're at a, at a school that, that doesn't have as much support staff. Those people that you have are going to be really important to be able to to kind of take all of those things together, whether it's it's figuring out how you're going to play offensively, defensively. But the relationships with with the players, the the community, all of those things are,
0: are are ever changing. So we we coached against each other for about nine years. I was at Eastern Michigan for Rob Murphy. One of the things I was always amazed at. To me, it seemed like you found your team's identity and you coached to their strength. How do you do this?
1: I, I think one thing you know for for a younger coach, you know, there's a lot of talk about you know the analytics in sport. And I think no matter where you kind of fall on analytics, I think most coaches will look at analytics and and recognize that it's that's important. You know whether you're going to buy in completely to it or to some degree, but I think that it's important to be able to to look at your team and be able to look at look at them statistically. Of you know what are your strengths, your team strengths, what are the individual players' strengths, if if you're a coach that really believes in walking the ball up and throwing it to your post player every time, well, you should be able to have the statistics and the knowledge to know that when you do that, you're, you're actually getting higher percentage shots and you're scoring more points per possession. Uh, But when you, when you look in whatever your philosophy is, if you look in and the numbers just aren't adding up, well, then you got to figure out, is there a different thing that you can do Mm -hmm. um, on a given year? And I think for you know for for college coaches or for, for pro programs they get to kind of be selective in which players they get and they can recruit or sign players that fit uh, a style. But if you're a you know if you're a high school coach, you don't have that yeah. you know, that opportunity. You've always got to try to figure out what can you do, and it can be in the framework of what you believe. But I think you know it's it's important to try to keep an open mind going into a year as much as as possible of who's the, who's the player that might've surprised you or what's the thing that you can do offensively or defensively that can really play to your
0: team strength. Were you always enamored with playing fast and scoring points? I mean, you guys had fast, you know, all the teams I've ever watched with you, you've had fast, you've played fast, you've had guards that can score. And it seems like your guys always play really free for you. This fascination with scoring, has that always been a epitome of who you are as a coach?
1: Well, uh, um, you know I, I think it, I, I've always believed in it um, that it's the the best way to be able to to win games it is on the offensive end is to be able to um, to score you know quickly to be able to get back to to be able to push before the other team gets their defense completely set if you if you're playing a game of three on three you're gonna score a lot more points playing Three on three than you are five on five, you know, or one on one. When you when you're playing one on one and you got two guys going against each other, there you, it's almost impossible to stop somebody one on one. So I think being able to kind of follow what pro teams do and how hard they push the break you know, I've always liked that. And then I think you know in the in the collegiate sense, you know, your your fans enjoy it. You know, the recruits like it. They, they want to go somewhere to be able to to play that style. So I think there's a lot of things backing up. Um, why you'd want to try to really play in a, an up tempo
0: style. So, in the Mac, you had a positionless, you know, almost at times positionless program, you know, where you had fives that could step out and shoot threes. Um, your fours were always super versatile. Like, where do you think this evolved from? Or is this just this idea of like, you know, this, just like you said, with the game growing, or has it always been something at your core that you can have bigs that can step away from the basket?
1: Everybody kind of likes to be able to have a, a center that, that mm-hmm. can do that, but. I think the the reason that we did that was because, you know, maybe the the top couple players um, in the league of true post players, uh, we weren't getting those players. Mm -hmm. We weren't getting the the top two, you know, two or three true back-to-the-basket guys. And so when you don't have that, uh, your choices are to try to play the same way and with lesser players in that type of offense um, or go in a way that um, will put pressure on the other team. So if we could have a a center that can step out and shoot, it would not only put pressure on that that defensive center to guard them, but also maybe open up the court for our other players. So if we had a a recruit that was one of the best back to the basket players in the Mac, I think you would have seen us, Uh, Maybe not go to a half court style, but would have been a little bit different offensively uh, of what we would try to do. And and back to kind of going to your strengths.
0: Time for a quick 30 second timeout. Coach Keno Davis, getting this podcast to you is all because of my friends at Buzzsprout. Imagine if you started a podcast in your basketball office today. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed at all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and so many more. You'll also get a great-looking podcast website. They provide audio players that you can drop into other websites. They give detailed analytics to see how people are listening to start your own podcast. Follow the link in my show notes. Let Buzzsprout know that I sent you. You'll get a $20 Amazon gift card If you sign up for a paid plan, and this also helps support my show Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast is the press a lost art.
1: Well, I think it it goes back to probably in the last 10 to to 15 years when when we if you think back to the final fours where all of a sudden you were getting, um, you know, some teams that were um, really physical defensively. And nobody really wants to see a, a Final Four or a championship game in the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, officiating changed. Mm-hmm. And it didn't change in the post, uh, but it changed on the perimeter. And all of a sudden, the hand checking, the, the body bumping, those things were went from never being called to being called all the time. So it's tougher to have the full court pressure um, where you're being aggressive and getting one of your top players in foul trouble with two quick fouls um, because of the way the game is being officiated. But I don't think it's necessarily a lost art. I hmm. think what you're going to see with, with pressure uh, you know, just came from the NBA Summer League. Right. And you can see those teams and those organizations, not maybe the full-court diamond press, Um, But they're pressuring the ball up the court. Mm. They're looking at running and jumping here and there. Um, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to keep the ball out of the other team's best players hands. They're trying to take time off the clock. They're they're trying to take other teams out of their flow. So I think you'll see somewhat of a resurgence in the press. I just think it'll look different than maybe it did, you know, 15, 20 years ago going forward.
0: What about the three-two matchup zone? Uh, to this day, I'm, I'm not sure the rules still of the zone. <laughs> how, how did well, this? How did this become your zone?
1: My father had always uh, had played a you know a three-two zone where the top of the zone would mm-hmm. drop uh, down onto the block, and you know so that's what I had kind of learned. And yeah. then when I had the opportunity to be a head coach um, and being in the Valley, we didn't see. In that year, we didn't have great post play, and so we kind of went away from from dropping though we would trap inside, and we started to um, experiment with following guards and letting um, a couple of the the inside players stay there. And we had had some teams in the in the conference that that would do something similar in that they would play man to man, but they're power forward, and their center would stay way off their men. And in, in, in essence, we're really playing kind of a 3-2 uh, a with, a, with a true matchup. And so I think that that's where it kind of came from. Uh, but it came from out of necessity uh, at Drake in that we played in that 2008 season, we played probably 90% of our non-conference opponents. We played man-to-man defense. And in conference, we probably played 90 percent zone Mm -hmm. because I felt like we were the better team in the non-conference. Most times we stepped on the court and, and we could beat them just matching them up and doing what we do. And all of a sudden we got to conference and the other teams were 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 better man to man than we were. And we couldn't stop them, so we went to that to try to disrupt them and try to find a find a way to win those
0: games. You're subbing, just like how you guys played fast. This idea, this rhythm of of subbing guys quick. Where did that come from?
1: Well, I think you know, going back to uh, again to, to my father, and that when he was, especially when he was at Iowa mm. um, for those thirteen years, he had a he had a, a, a thing that he stayed with was that he told his starting players that they could sub themselves in and out um and they knew who their backup was and so when they came out that they could go back in now if all of a sudden he took you out that you didn't get a chance to go back in you had to had to wait so it allowed you to to really kind of maximize your minutes but understand that if you were going half speed um your minutes were were going to go down and so i think the thing that i learned from that was that players could um, take a quicker break, and, but take an earlier break. So if, if all of a sudden you'd only played you know five, six minutes, you didn't necessarily need to come out of the game for another five or six minutes, but you could come out of the game for a minute, a minute and a half, and catch your breath and be fresh and go back in. You didn't have to have this... Um, you're in there for 10, 12 minutes. You're sitting for five and, and, and going from that. So, although we didn't necessarily let um, all of our players um, control their minutes, we did with some of them. You know, some of them that really uh, could oh. control that and showed that they were able to, to sub themselves in and out. Um, the, the Chris Fowlers, yeah. um, you Great know, the, the Ray John Simmons, those guys that, that were kind of your captains and leaders. They would take themselves out probably even before I would have taken them out. So uh, when, when you have those special players, we were giving them some special treatment of how they were able to, to kind of control when they were in and when they were out of the
0: game. Man, that's great insight from what your dad did. That's awesome. I have not heard that before. That's, that's really, really cool. Thanks for sharing that. That's super cool. And one of the things I pay attention to is head coaches during timeouts. When you have a timeout, you know, no matter the situation for just for younger coaches, is there a couple of things that you try to zero in on every timeout?
1: Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of things that I try to do, uh, you know, during your, your full timeout, obviously during your, you know, your your 20 second, 30 second timeout that you might have, there's there's not a whole lot of time to do much other than um, what's the one thing you want them to focus on or what play or possession that you want to. But when you have a full timeout, a couple things that I would try to do would be as soon as the, the, the whistle would blow, I would go over and I kind of grab my water and if the coaches had anything that they wanted to get in my ear, that was the time for them to do that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't when I get into the huddle, it was right away. And what I was doing during that time was just trying to gather my thoughts of, I didn't want to just get into the huddle and be scattered and give them too much information. I was just trying to think, okay, what, what do I want to try to accomplish uh, during this time? Uh, and then as, as we would get into the huddle, you know it would be what do we really need to focus on what's the and a, and a lot of times it might be something that was at the top of the scouting report of that this team you know crashes the the glass better than anybody and and so it might be okay let's let's hey rebounds were you know we're down 5 on the boards we have to when we come back in this timeout we have to cut into that or we're not throwing the ball inside or we're not getting to the free throw liner. just one thing that I want them to focus on. And then, of course, you're going to talk about the possession coming up. We wouldn't talk two possessions down the road. It would be whether we were on defense or whether we were on offense. We're going to talk about that one possession of what we want to try to do because mm. I just felt like, you know, and coaches probably probably feel similar to this, is that, you know, you get out of timeouts. You know you did a bad job when you come out of a timeout and one of your players would come up to you and say, okay, whose ball is it? I mean, they they didn't hear anything that you said. Yeah. And it would happen all the time. And so it always got me to, to try to do a better job when I was in that timeout. When they left that timeout, they needed to know Whose ball it was, and the one thing we were going to try to uh, try to accomplish and accomplish in that possession.
0: So you mentioned your time at Iowa as an undergrad, and then you went to Southern Indiana and, and also Southeast Missouri State. Can you talk about how this prepared you for being an assistant at Drake?
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know the the thing that I, I needed to to have, I think, in my coaching uh, experience was you know growing up you know under under my dad's teams and watching those. Um, I needed to go work for somebody else. I needed to see different styles, you know, and I got a chance to, you know, to, you know, work for Bruce Pearl, who, you know, was really running a lot of my dad's stuff for a couple of years. But then I got a chance at at Southeast Missouri State under Gary Garner, who was a, an IBA guy who was a half court, who was a triangle offense guy. It was, it was completely opposite of, of anything I had learned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, I think helped me grow as a coach to be able to still take things today that I had learned during that time, you know, from him. And, and so you, you you got a, a different teaching and, and you're out on your own. And I, I think I learned so much during that time that, you know, when I when I did get an opportunity to, to become a head coach, you know, there were things that, you know, I had learned from, from my father and from Bruce Pearl on the, the fast breaking, the pressure defense, uh, a lot of the zone defensive stuff, but some of the, the really the fundamental stuff of, um, of man defense and philosophy were things that I had gotten from being able to learn from from someone else with, with a completely different viewpoint.
0: Coach, what do you think are some traits that young assistants should Bring to a program.
1: I, I think as an assistant coach, the the, the simple thing, a uh, couple simple things that you know you need to bring. I mean, I think I'd start off with, you know, you don't try to be somebody that that you aren't. You know, you're going to have your your positives that you're really strong in certain areas, and that's great. But a couple of the things I think that you can control as an assistant coach is. You, you don't let the head coach beat you into the office and you don't leave before he leaves. And if, if you're doing that, if, if if you're being the first one in and the, and the last one out, you know, that's going to be recognized. It might not be verbalized, but the, the head coach is going to know who the who the workers are and, mm. and who aren't. And that gets passed along, not just believing in the, in the office, but those head coaches will talk to other head coaches and all of a sudden you'll be labeled as a worker. And that's, that's what, what people want. And then I think the other thing that you can control is what you say. And it's easy, I think for assistance. you know I had been been a longtime assistant is you know you get around other assistants or other people, you know whether it's it's boosters or ticket holders or people in the administration or your friends and you you had a tough day and you start complaining about the head coach or the program or the style or the things and as you know in any profession people people talk and it always gets back to you that you know what people are saying so it's it's never something that oh that person's never going to going to say anything and so i think trying to be positive in everything that you say and I think those two things for the assistants that I've had that have done the best have been really positive and they've come in and they, they've worked their butt off. And, and those two things are, I think are all you can really ask for as
0: a head coach. A lot of people that have worked for you have really loved working for you. You know, Kevin Gambles, the DJ Mosini's the Chris Davises, Jeff Smith's, you know, DJ told me he'd run a, through a wall for you. Why do you think you connect, you always connected with your coaching staff and the guys that work for you?
1: Well, Um, I guess I, I think I've always recognized that the assistant coaches are the ones that really do the hard work, Mm. that they're the ones that are going to determine on, on how your, your players are being treated on how your recruiting is on, on how good you're going to be as a program are going to be how good your assistant coaches are. the head coaches, they've got the tough decisions to make and they've got some tough conversations and they might not get as much sleep because of uh, the winning and losing, but it's the assistants that do the hard work. And, uh, you know, I had always recognized that. I I think obviously from from your time as an assistant, it just, it always stayed in my mind of that these guys are really working hard. Hmm. You need to be able to treat them with respect. And it doesn't mean you have to you're not going to have hard conversations with them, but being honest with them of what you expect and and what they need to be able to do, I think has always uh, kind of been a respect from a a two-way street that, you know, when you respect them and treat them well, you know, then they work really hard for you. And uh, I think that's why we had such successful teams is because, you know, the attitude was really good in the office. And I think that translated to, um, the, the, the fans, to your to your players, to the administration. When, when you have everybody being really positive, um, it's usually a really good culture uh,
0: around the program. You know, I think about Kevin Gamble working in the NBA with the Raptors, you know, winning the title, Kyle Gerdelman, head coach, you know, Jeff Smith, associate head coach at, at Oakland. What, what would some just simple tips for coaches how to network? You know, obviously those are three examples for you guys that work for you that, you know, went to good spots and, and, and you know, are doing really well right now.
1: Well, uh, I think there's there's two ways to, to look at that is that, you know, when, when you're already a foot in the door, you know, when you already have a job, I think it goes back to how hard you work and what you're doing at, at the program that you're at and it's amazing how your name and the word will will get out. When you don't have your foot in the door, then it's about trying to figure out how to be able to to do something that not not anybody else is doing. And so I think from, you know, somebody trying to get uh, an assistance job or a volunteer job or a GA position, I think doing when you find yourself doing what everybody else is doing, hey, I'm sending out my resume or I'm emailing or I'm doing that. I think I'd try to be, you know, I would try to be creative and come up with something. So it might be about showing up at the office and handing your resume uh, in person and seeing if anybody in there has a few minutes to, to talk with you or working a summer camp or just trying to figure out what everybody else isn't doing. And even though it doesn't guarantee you getting a job, uh, it, it puts you in the right place sometimes at the right time where all of a sudden you start building a relationship that other people aren't doing because they're just making a phone call or just dropping an email. So uh, I think those are type of things that that I would be looking at trying to give advice for somebody that's trying to get their foot in the door at, at a
0: first step. What do you think is the best way to approach recruiting for a younger assistant?
1: You know, I think for, for a younger assistant, you know, so much in, in recruiting and, and with, with young people today is, is texting or on some way of, of social media. Messaging, uh, yeah. But I think the same thing is that, you know, you, you got to be able to do all of that and, and work hard at it. But what's the thing that you, you have an advantage over over the other coach that's, that's trying to recruit them? You know, are, are they talking to them? you know a lot of people don't make the phone calls to some of the recruits because you know that's that's harder work of having conversations with with people you you barely know and but those things are important they, are you talking to the kid are you talking to the parents are you are you are you doing everything that you can because i i think young men young women in the recruiting process you know they want to go to the program that 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 they like the most but a lot of times they go to the program that they feel like wants them the most, and if you're not doing more than than everybody else, you're pretty much telling them that other programs want more. And so I think for for somebody young getting into it, it isn't necessarily what you say or, or what you do. It just makes sure you're doing all of it. Uh, and there's there's nothing wrong uh, about you know having. I don't think I've ever had a had a recruit myself or had an assistant that we lost somebody because we called them too much or we te- texted them too much or we did too much. Hmm. It was sometimes we probably didn't do enough. Uh, and those are the ones you kind of regret that maybe we should have, should have pushed a little bit harder and, and had more of those conversations.
0: Why do you think teams really win?
1: Well, you know, I think the, the simple answer to that is the the teams that, that really win are, are the ones with, with the better players. Um, but I think the, <laughs> yeah. the, the trickier, the trickier question is, why do teams that are are equal? What what makes somebody stand out? That, mm. you know, if, if you're talking about your conference and say you have ten teams in your conference, right. you go into a season usually knowing that you know three or four teams can win it. And what what makes those teams stand out? And some of the things you can't control it's the the injuries or the luck or things like that. But you know, um, I think that the answer to that is. Isn't easy. It's it's something, but it might be something different in a, each situation. What makes one team stand out uh-huh. other than the other? And I think that's what a coach's job is to, to figure out what's what's your strength. Can you can you play to that strength? Can you build on it? It might be your chemistry. It might be your attitude. It might be the uh, skill set on the court that you really really utilize. Uh, but but I think most times when you look at a, a team that's won. And you go back, you can answer that, but it might be a different answer for each team that won. There was something that, that may that stood out of why they were successful. And I think that's as coaches what we're always trying to find.
0: Mm, that's great. Okay, I always end the podcast. What are some simple tips for younger coaches?
1: Well, I, I think you know, one one simple tip is you know, is going back to doing the, the, the best job at, at the, the job that you have. Too many too many coaches spend more time Time trying to get the next job, than the job doing a great job at the one that they already have, um, and I think I think the other thing that I would would go to is is just trying to to put aside when you're when you're coaching, when you're you know with your staff, when you're with the the players is you know, we all have bad days. And I think to be able to have some sort of process or some sort of thing of when you, when you, when you step into that situation where you're able to put the negative uh, aside for a little bit of time, because uh, those really uh, tend to put you in a, in a negative mood and, and put everybody else. I think as as head coaches, we can all remember the time where we kick everybody out of practice because we feel like they had such a bad practice or they weren't focused or they weren't, didn't have a great attitude. well a lot of times that comes back to us that we weren't in the right frame of mind going in. and I think so for, for young coaches, for old coaches as, as well it's about being able to you know put the other things that are going on uh, aside and, and, and be as positive as you can to, because you know being positive is gonna, is going to yield positive results. It might not be good enough, um, but I think you can get more out of your team by by having the positives than,
0: than, than bringing negatives out. Well, Coach, I really thank you and appreciate your time. I've had massive respect for you as a head coach, but in addition to being a, a great head coach, you know, you've always been a class act and a gentleman to me. I've always appreciated all your comments about my family and, and just genuine being a, a, a wonderful human being. When you talk about being real, you're as real as it gets and you're a class act and I just rooting for you in your future. And I'm, I'm really appreciative of all the knowledge you shared today in helping young coaches. Well,
1: I was, uh, I was happy to do it. Appreciate the time.
0: That was a great conversation with coach Keno Davis. I truly loved everything that coach Davis learned from his dad, Dr. Tom Davis. Keno talks about his dad with so much love and respect. It is incredible to think that Keno's dad in 1987 at Iowa and Keno in 2008 at Drake we're both national coaches of the year. For younger coaches, please check out Dr. Tom Davis' coaching record. Almost 600 wins. Boston College, Stanford, Lafayette, Drake, and Iowa. It's incredible. The subbing system? How about that? Thanks, Kino, for sharing. I'm so glad that Coach Kino Davis spent so much time educating us on his father. As you can tell, I love Coach Kino Davis. Sure, he's an excellent basketball coach. As you just heard, his thoughts on the game are so sound. Press, zone, playing fast. But Coach Davis is as real as they come. The fact that a head coach while at Central Michigan treated an assistant coach in me with so much respect and kindness, it's one of the best coaching lessons anyone ever could give to me. Thank you, Coach Keno Davis, for sharing your story. And I can't wait for your next head coaching opportunity. That program. We'll be so darn lucky. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you are currently listening. And we are everywhere. Follow, tell me your story coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your StoryCoach. Follow, tell me your story coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Check out moneyballsportswear.com. Enter the coupon code Dro. D-R-O at checkout. Hey, if I can start a podcast, you can too. Check out my show notes and learn about Buzzsprout. Stay safe, be you, keep coaching, and see you on the next episode of the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast.